You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. D-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. Hurts, heaping, first down and a touchdown. Here are your hosts, Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. Thank you guys for tuning in to another Eagles Unfiltered presented by Blev Podcast Network and powered by betonline.ag and playactionpools.com. Today's episode, we have the creator of the dog culture, the apparel you see on the Philadelphia Eagles sideline with the dog culture all over the shirts, the hoodies. We have the creator, Mike Hill, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, to explain the brand, what it means, and its connection with the Eagles and their players, and Nick Sirianni wearing the dog culture apparel. So find out the meeting behind the shirts, behind the dog culture, and behind the dog mentality uh, in today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in so much. Find Mike Hill and wherever you want to purchase his gear at dogculture.com. That's D-A-W-G culture.com. Thank you guys for tuning in for today's episode. Yeah, so I grew up playing football. Um, the big dream was to make it to the NFL. So I started at seven years old, right? And I'm, I'm saying that just to lay the foundation. Um, I played football at Duquesne University. I played at a high level, and I had an opportunity with the Redskins in 2007. Um, I got released, and so I had to start playing arena football, right? And as I got into my second year of arena football, you know, scouts started coming out. So I was excited. I was like, okay, you know, I'll play football until I make the league. I told my mom, she said, uh, you can stay here as long as you need to chase your dream. And so my second year playing ball, um, things started to get a little weird. So I would put my equipment on and I would itch really bad. Right. I had dreads. So I thought maybe it's my dreads, but it got so bad and uncomfortable to the point where I couldn't play anymore. So I ended up like actually retiring mid season, um, not really understanding why thinking that maybe I I lost my love for the game. Uh, Things just weren't the same. So I continue, you know, throughout this past and I'm kind of, I'm kind of depressed at the time because, you know, football is the dream and now I don't have it anymore, but I don't really know why I don't have it. And I feel like uh, I quit on myself. So moving forward, uh, I continue to work out. Uh, I still train like I'm playing ball. And New Year's, New Year's Eve of 2011, um, I'll never forget, I was sick and I thought I had the flu, right? So it got so bad that I couldn't breathe anymore. And when I was a child, when I first was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. And the doctors told my mom, you know, if, if your son makes it, he'll be brain dead because he's not breathing on his own. He's hooked up to all these tubes. So I developed asthma because of that. So and I always say I was born, you know, fighting. I, I was born a fighter because I had to fight for my first breath. So I developed asthma, but I overcame asthma and I stopped using it um, when I started playing like running back in high school. I said I can't come off the field due to this asthma. So I haven't used my inhaler in years, but at that moment, I needed my inhaler and I didn't know why. So it was so bad that my mom said we should go to the emergency room. 
So we go to the emergency room and I get on the breathing machine. I start breathing. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm good. So I'm just thinking, you know, maybe the flu, uh, but I can breathe and I'm okay with that. But before I leave, I asked the nurse, uh, can you check out my neck? Because I was lifting weights. Like I said, I continued to lift. And I had this knot in my neck that I thought I strained a muscle because I was lifting a, I was military pressing and then something popped and I was icing it for a couple months. The pain went away. So I just thought it was a muscle strain. And so she felt my neck and her eyes got really big and she kind of walked off um, and she said, I'll be back. So she comes back with a doctor. They feel my neck and they say, "Okay, we have to take a biopsy. And me, I don't, you know, I'm 24 at the time. I don't really know what a biopsy is. I said, yeah, do what you got to do. So they take the biopsy. They actually admit me into a hospital room. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe they're just being dramatic uh, because I'm, mind you, football player, personal trainer at that time in 2007, chicken breast and broccoli. Like I was the healthiest that I, I was, I felt like I was doing everything right. So nothing could really be that wrong. And so the, the team of doctors came in and they said, uh, Mr. Hill, we've ran the biopsy test and you've been diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. So at the time, I still really didn't understand what it was. So I said, okay, so should we, you know, do I need to go to the pharmacy, pick something up? And they was like, no, I don't don't think you understand Um, the medication you have to take is chemotherapy. And so so when I heard that, I knew what chemo was associated with. And I said, wait, because chemo is associated with cancer, right? And they said, yeah, so what you have is a form of cancer and it's in the last stage, so we have to act fast. So at that very moment, of course, I'm devastated. And but I'm shocked because I don't really know how to handle it. And and so I kind of like pause and I they're talking and I, I can't really I'm not really hearing what they're saying. I'm just thinking like cancer is associated, at least in my mind, with death, because that's all I've seen. I've seen my aunt die of cancer. I've heard people with cancer and they don't make it. So like, all I'm thinking is like, that's, that's, that can't be my reality. So I'm sitting there kind of in a trance and I snap out of it. Um, my mom, she's been as strong as she can be, uh, but I know the tears are coming. So, but I'm, I'm like the rock in the family. So I, I have to be strong for her and me. So we get into this, this, this journey of chemotherapy. So I start taking this chemo and to be honest, like I couldn't go outside in the sun without itching, extremely um, sweating and, and just like being very uncomfortable. So I wouldn't even go outside. But as I started taking this chemo, the symptoms started going away. So I was excited. I was like, OK, here we go. We, we, we're going to get through this thing. However, the, the, the chemo continued to put me in the hospital. So I would have like 1.7 liters of fluid. I never forget that number. But 1.7 liters of fluid drained out of my lungs like every week. And so I would be admitted into the hospital because I think my blood pressure was too high. They wouldn't let me out. Then I had to go back to the hospital when I got out to take the chemo. So everything's going through my mind. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Uh, I'm blaming God <laughs> because I didn't think, you know, like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I'm really playing this victim role because I think I, I deserve it, right? And right. so I get to a point where I stop taking the chemo. Like, now I'm upset. 
And I tell my doctor, there's a holistic route. Since these symptoms are gone, I want to finish my treatment up the holistic way. So when I tell my doctor, uh, this is the first time she told me I would die, right? <laughs> so my doctor said, if you, if you stop taking this chemo, you're going to die. As crazy as I am, I, like, I, I accepted the challenge, right? I was like, you can't tell me I'm going to die. And I'm like, all right, watch this. So I go and I start doing this holistic thing for four, four months straight, like no, no meats and, and all these type of minerals and vitamins I'm taking. And so four week, I mean, four months later, like I start itching again and I'm a little nervous. I'm like, no, that's your mind. Just your mind playing tricks on you. I start itching. I start having these night sweats again. And that's the, that's the symptoms, night sweats, chronic itching fatigue, um, and then like two days later, it's like full blown symptoms all over again. So I started calling my holistic doctor and he's not responding. I'm texting him, email. He's not responding. Doc, these symptoms are back and I don't get no response from him. To this day, I have not received a response from him. So as I, you know, I'm 24. My parents are paying this guy money and I'm thinking, you know, there has to be a solution because this is what you do. But he kind of left me, he left me out of the drive. He never responded to my text, my email. And before that, you know, we were we were communicating. But once I said my symptoms are back, nothing. So I'm kind of in a place where I'm stuck, right? And I said, okay, I gotta go back to the hospital. So I go back and lo and behold, my doctor with the I told you so face, right? So I'm still like, it's not gonna go the way you think. So I get back into this chemo, but now my body's rejecting the chemo. So at first it was working, but now it's rejecting it. And so I'm chemo treatment after chemo treatment. They trying new things and eventually we get down to the wire and they say, okay, we're going to do a bone marrow transplant. And my father was my half match. So what they do is they hit you with this high dose of chemo to, to lower, you know, the, uh, the, the tumors. So they shrink the tumors and then the bone marrow comes in and does the rest. But after I took that doses of chemo and my PET scan came back, same doctor, I went to go see that doctor and she, uh, she just kept saying, oh no. And she was like, this is bad. So I'm thinking like, I don't really know, you know, she's, she's been a little negative throughout this thing, but it can't be that bad. And she was like, yeah, this is, this is bad. It didn't work. And I said, okay, so, so what's next then? And she said, yeah, there's, there's no next. She said, she said, there's really nothing more we can do for you. Then she asked me, have you ever been on a cruise? So I kind of, I kind of understood where she was going, but I, I wanted to, like, I wanted to hear her say it. So she said, have you ever been on a cruise? And I said, yeah, I've been on a cruise. Why do you ask? And she said, maybe you should go on a cruise and enjoy some sights because you don't have much time. And at that moment, one, I couldn't let, you know, her words get into my spirit, because if I agreed with that, then that would become my reality. And two, it's like, you're not going to write my death sentence. But I don't care what you've seen up until this point. One, I'm a believer in the most high. So I know that I'm going to be all right, regardless of what it looks like. And two, I'm the, I'm the finisher of my story, right? So she asked me, have you been on a cruise? And I kind of just laughed. And she asked me, she said, what are you going to do? 
I said, I beat it myself. And I said, I'm going to trust God. I beat it myself. And she kind of just was like, all right. And so I leave. Now, mind you, she said, there's nothing else we can do. I get home. My parents, because I was doing this thing, I was going to these uh, treatments by myself because I was kind of in the place like, no, nah, I don't need no help. Like the ego, and you know, bravado. And I get home and my mom and dad, they come downstairs. And I just start crying. <laughs> and that was the first time I believe they saw me cry throughout the process. Because although I believe that all things are possible when you trust in God, I also understood how hard this battle was about to be, right? So I broke down and I cried. I don't know how I cried for a while because of the pain. Mind you, this is two, two and a half years after everything I've been through. So I'm thinking like, surely I'd be out by now. And I know I had to go to a dark place. So um, for like two, three weeks, no chemo and these tumors are getting bigger and I can see them and I can start seeing the one in my chest. I can touch it. It's soft. It hurts under my arms. It's like golf balls. And so I just start going to the gym and I said, I'm going to get as strong as I can so my body can defeat this disease. Right. And so this is two weeks straight. I'm going to the gym and I'm just like, I'm squatting, I'm, I'm lifting, I'm cleaning. And I get to a point where I understand that I can't do it in my strength. And now this is when I start to think about throwing in the towel because they say there's nothing we can do. And I realized the more I live, the more I work out, the more I'm hurting. And so I kind of threw in the towel, but I didn't tell nobody. And I, and I, I talk about it all the time. You can, you can get knocked down, but as long as you get back up, that's what matters. Right. And so my parents, they didn't give up on me. So they started emailing folks and they got in contact with NIH, the National Institute of Health. And I love them because, you know, they, they do the clinical trials and they said, you know, if we accept your, your, your situation and you can come on board. And they accepted me. Dr. Kevin Conlon was my doctor. Shout out to him because when I came in, 24 year old, you know, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of down at the time. Like I, I've been told I was going to die twice. I'm still here, but I'm like, all right, well, what, what you got for me? And the one thing he said to me was, there's always something you can do, right? Because I was like, the doctor told me it was nothing else. So like, what, what you got? He said, there's always something we can do. And this, I feel like that was just something, um, I feel like that was a word from God, just like, just hang in there, right? So once he said that, like my spirits perked up and I'm like, all right, well, round two, let's go back at it. And I start taking this treatment and the same thing, my, my body's rejecting, rejecting, rejecting it. And I get to a point where I have to start, I have to walk around with chemo 24 hours a day. So I, I got this fanny pack chemo pumping into my port. Um, but when I leave the hospital, I go right to the gym, fanny pack and all, blisters in my nose and my mouth, eyebrows gone, bald head, but I had to keep my vision. I said, if I stop doing what I normally do, I'm going to get the results that they want me to have or that they expect me to have. So I said, I have to continue doing and being who I am. So I stayed in the gym. They told me not to go because if your immune system, your immune system is so low. So if you catch a virus, you won't be able to fight it all. I said, no, she told me I was going to die twice. I'm still here. I'm fine. So I had to do, like, I had to beat it my way. 
right? They said, don't do this, don't do that. I had to do, I literally did everything they told me not to do because I didn't want to have the results that they'd seen for so long. So the doctor would come in and he'd be like, did you get bigger? And I would just be like, doc, I'm a beast. Like, this is what I do. Like, I'm not going to die. And so when we got to, we got to a point where he was like, um, I, I, could, I could see the, the concern on his face. And I was like, well, are we getting down to the wire again? And he was like, well, we have this stem cell transplant. Only one person in the world, you know, has taken it and she's still alive. But the problem is there's a 50-50 chance that your immune system won't recreate itself. Like your stem cells won't work. And it's, an, it's a 50 chance that it will work. Do you want to do this? So I got to the point now in my mind, like, yo, I don't care how long it takes, right? And I said, Doc, I told you I'm a beast. So there's no 50-50 chance. We're going to do this and it's going to work. And so he was like, okay, let's do it. So stem cell transplant starts. They, you know, take my stem cells, they clean them. Um, And then this chemo was the worst thing I've ever faced in my life. So they told me, this is the highest dose of chemotherapy ever given to a person. And we have to put it in your body and it will erase your immune system. So you will not have an immune system. So people can't be around you who are sick. You can't be around live plants. You got to be quarantined for a month. So I take this chemo, right? And mind you, when I get to NIH, I'm running around the hospital like Rocky. I got my IV and they clapping me on and, you know, I'm, I'm alive and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so I take this chemo, man, and it wipes me out, like literally wipes me out. And I, I can't move. I'm in the bed. Uh, I had an allergic reaction. I, I broke out. I got to get in this cold shower. And that's all these emotions I'm dealing with. And I'm like, yo, this is tough. Like, this is really tough. And I get to a point where these, because I had no immune system, like my G-track system was gone. When I ate, it was very hard to like use the bathroom. So I just stopped eating. I stopped moving. I stopped doing anything. And I almost stopped fighting, right? But I told my mom early on in the process, I was so upset. I said, I don't want nobody here anymore. And I believe that was my way of throwing in the towel again, right? Because I was like, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want you here. Stop, like, stop showing up out of anger, but also in a place where like, if I go, I'll go by myself and you won't see me tap out. But I kept, and this is, this is how, this is what dog culture, this is how it all started. I kept talking to myself, but it wasn't, it was me, but it wasn't me. It was the voice on the inside that tells you to get back up when you're training. And that's, that's why you revert back to your training. I don't know if you've seen my videos on the hill, but what I do when I train, I break my body and I break the, the physical down to the point where I don't, I can't go any further, right? My body says, no, we are done. And the mind has to step up and say, we got one more, right? So you push yourself past your preconceived limits, right? Physically, and then mentally you go to another place. So mentally, I just was like, get up. Like I'm laying in the bed and I just told myself, just get up. And I would have these conversations like, you are soft. Like you're just gonna, you're just gonna die. Like, is that what you want to do? And then I realized, like, I told her to leave. But every day I woke up, my mother was there with her Bible. And she wouldn't look at me, but she wasn't going to leave. Me. And I realized, like, if I'm not going to fight for me, I got to fight for her. Right? So I had to find something in that moment to push me or give me the strength that I needed 
to get through it because I wasn't doing it for me no more. But that mindset that was, if there's a wall, right? So my purpose came with the mindset. And I was like, if there's a wall, you got to run through it. So my mom, I kept saying, your mother is on the other side of the wall. You got to run through this wall, dog. And so the chemo or the cancer became the wall. It became the fullback. It became the guard that I used to always run the alley. I got to meet you man to man in the hole. So that became my situation. So the dog started to wake up and it was like, this is for her because you're done fighting for you. But if you can fight for a bigger purpose, you can find the strength to get through it, to get up every single day. So I realized that's my why. Every day I wake up, I look at my mom, that's my why. Because if I leave this earth, I will break her, right? So I get up day in, day out. And I'm just looking at her and I'm like, I got you. Like I had to find something bigger than myself to get through this situation. So eventually, like I'm getting through, I'm crying every day. Now she's seen me at my lowest. So I'm crying, but I'm fighting. Like I start fighting again. And, and when I, when they released me, I had to go back, you know, after the, the stem cell transplant, I couldn't be around people, but I had to go back every week and every two weeks and every month and every three months, six months. And eventually um, I got to a point where I, I was a little depressed because I like, look at, look at where I am. Right. But I also was grateful that, you know, I'm still in the fight and I'm still, you know, finding that one purpose to hold on to like my mom. That's my why I'm grateful that she's still in my life because without that, I don't believe I would be here. And so I get, I get home. Um, a year goes by, two years go by. He says, your reports look good. And, you know, I'm excited. Five years go by um, and like I'm back to working and I'm and I'm going to the hospital. And he's, he keeps telling me, like, I can't tell you that you're cancer free because it's still some stuff that I'm worried about. And I'm like, look, doc, I'm good. I, didn't, I don't really need you to tell me that I'm OK, because the only way I made it out of this situation was seeing myself being OK before I actually was. So the day before my wedding. It was five years. The day before my wedding, I had my last appointment. And my last appointment, he said, I can finally tell you that you're cancer free, right? The best wedding gift I could possibly have. Although I knew it was just beautiful to hear it in that moment, right? And so I go on, I get married. Um, and, and then like I start, you know, I got, got a job again. But I started to feel like, okay, this isn't like I was excited to have bills, right? Like to still be here, to have a job to go to. But then I started to like, this isn't it. This can't be it. Because at first it was, you know, NFL or nothing. But now, like, you're sitting behind a desk like this. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel as though I was taking advantage of the life that I was giving back. And so my mom kept telling me, you have to tell your story. And I'm like, mom, I'm not, I'm not going back down that road. Like that was too dark. It was too painful. It's going to open up too many wounds. I can't do that. And out of nowhere, I started bumping into cancer patients. And I'm like, dog, there's no way I can see them going through what they're going through and not say anything. And so I literally just will walk up and be like, look, I had stage four cancer. My doctor told me I was going to die several times. I'm still here you'll still be here when it's over. And the response that I got from people, like after the fact, they would come back, hug me crying, saying, 
when you told me you had stage four and I, I, I only had stage two, I realized that there's hope. Like there's light at the end of the tunnel because I've seen somebody else live in the flesh, still alive, who went through something that I'm going through. And so once this started happening, I said, people need hope. Like I needed hope. Although I had to find my strength in my mother, I said, what did I need in my situation that I can give to somebody else? And that's what life is. Like you go through your, your journeys and your ups and downs and your storms. But I literally say that cancer saved my life because now, because of what I've been through, I found my purpose. And that situation has brought me to a place where I can take my story I can give people the mindset that I had to get through it and I can help them understand that they are possible and they are as powerful as they want to be to get through their situation. So I, I came out, I was like, okay, well, let's do it. Like how, how, how are we going to do this and what are we going to call it? And I said, well, I, the dog got you through, <laughs> right? I, that's, that's all I can think about is like, that mindset got you through. Like you treated cancer like football. So dog. And that's a, that's how I started. I was like, all right, dog. And then I started to realize, like, I'm this is me every day. Like, this is a culture, this is a lifestyle. So dog culture became, you know, my baby. And I said, all right, well, let's do it. Dog culture. And I started out, you know, just little videos on Instagram, just talking about my story, like really peeling back the layers and letting people, cause I'm not a talker. Well, I am now, but I wasn't at first mm-hmm. and peeling back the layers and um, people like really gravitated to the story. And not only was I helping cancer patients, but now I'm like help people like in general, like, look, I didn't go through cancer, but I'm going through X, Y, and Z. I had people say, look, I was going to commit suicide. I saw your video and I realized that I need to be grateful for the life I have. I, somebody reached out to me. I had COVID and on the ventilator, I was listening to your videos and you kept saying, keep going one more. And that's why I kept going. So like now I'm like, I got something bigger than me again. Right. So this purpose that I have is not for me. So I can't afford to miss a day. I can't afford to get off my routine. So I've been focused. I've been locked in. And I said, look, I do what I do. And I go to that hill every Sunday morning at five o'clock. And that's kind of like my church service. And I, I pray, I do my praise and worship. I said, God, talk to him. Whatever you want to say today, say it through me. And I don't miss a day because I know it's people out there who like are waiting for that video. I have cancer patients that I talk to on a daily basis. And I have some that are trying to throw in the towel. So there's no way I can not go out there and give them some type of message to help them understand, like, I threw it in too, but you can pick it back up. As long as you don't keep it down, you'll be fine and you'll get through. So, like, that's my purpose. And I know that was long-winded, but that's what dog culture is all about. So that is such an amazing story, man, uh, to hear all about that and how you're able to inspire not only just yourself and and to find a reason to fight for your mother, but... uh, your purpose in life now is to make sure that we're all positive. We're all picking up this, these messages so that we find that reason to fight for. Because like you just said, you're not just relating to cancer patients anymore. You're relating to the rest of the people out there that are going through any problem in life. I mean, uh, you don't know this, but my mom has stage three uterine cancer and my lost my dad to a, a tractor trailer accident. He was rear-ended by a tractor trailer. So uh, to hear stuff like this, to hear that you you held on to something and found a purpose. I mean, this is something I'm going to take away from this interview and start building going forward and, and being confident you know and 
that I have to live for my mom. You know, I have to keep fighting for her. I have to make sure that uh, I'm the guy that by her side doing everything I could possibly do to make sure that she's living comfortable and that she's living happy because I am the man of her life now. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't really think of it that way, though. You know, I, I've always thought of it like this is my purpose. This is what I have to do. Like, this is my job. But uh, I think listening to you talk right now, you gave me a whole new perspective. Like, this is not you're not just doing this for her. This is something that I got to do. This is something that this is what the cross that I've been given. And this is the fight that I'm supposed to fight. And I got to yeah. fight it and I got to take it by, by the horn. And I mean, I didn't have that 30 minutes ago. I really did. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I didn't. Not until we started doing this interview. Where I'm like, wow. Like, because I was listening, man. I was listening to every word you were saying. And it, it, it is impactful. And I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that these Instagram videos and these YouTube videos that you're doing are, are catching everybody's attention the way they are and helping everybody with their fights. Keep doing it, man. We need you. The world That's needs it. you. The world needs you for this message. And get, there is a reason why God's speaking through you. Uh, and it's working. It is working. It's very impactful. And it, 30 minutes had already made such an impact on me. When you haven't even talked about anything with the Eagles or what your association with, with them now with dog culture is. But I got to get into sure. it. I know Nick Sirianni, uh, you and him had a connection before he even came to Philadelphia. Uh, could we get into that a little bit? Yeah. So I, uh, so Zach Pascal is actually a dog culture brand ambassador. And, you know, he's a hometown guy. I met him at a um, football camp and I gave him a hoodie and just told him, I told him my story as well. And I said, this is what I want to do. Outside of talking about my my journey and helping people with this, with the mindset, I want to be able to sell the gear that represents the mindset. Because when I played boss, I said, like, I would love to have dog on my chest because I, I labeled myself a dog. And I said, this is the brand for the dogs. And so Zach, you know, he caught on to it. Um, he he saw one of my friends at, at a training and he said, man, I want the black one. So I sent him a black one. And then somebody who was working with me, they said, don't you got Coast Blue? I said, yeah, I do. So I sent them some Coast Blue. And then eventually, uh, I believe Nick Sirianni saw it. And he, he, uh, he sent me a video of him and he had the hoodie on. And he told Zach that we need these for the whole team. And so I sent hoodies for the whole team. And I was like, well, let's do it. And then I guess, you know, from that connection, once he moved over to, you know, be the Eagles head coach, we need him for the whole organization because of the mindset. Um, like that dog, that's a, that's a warrior mindset. And that's a warrior sport, you know? So like, why not come with the mindset that runs hand in hand with the sport we play? So I believe that's how, well, that is the reason, you know, that he, he got, um, I wouldn't say fell in love, but I would love to say fell in love with the brand, right? What is that like for you? I mean, to see your culture being brought into an organization by an NFL coach. I mean, this is what he's, mind you, he came into Philadelphia. He had a nervous opening press conference. People thought, like, this guy is not meant to be a head coach. He's not going to make it. Yet, behind the scenes, he's already had this plan in place to bring this foundation to whatever organization he was about to become the head coach from, and it's your culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, man. It's, uh, so it's funny. I, since day one, I do, I do believe in like, we are made in God's image, right? So we are phenomenal. We are, uh, powerful, courageous, brave, the things that he can do, we can do. And I believe that once people understand who they are, and the power that they have and the power of your like your mindset and your vision and your words, 
I've been speaking it since day one. I said, we're going to take over the NFL. Like, we're going to be all through the NFL. And people would be like, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. I would literally and still do, like, sit down, meditate, and just see dog culture on the field. And when it happened, like, it was like, it, it works. <laughs> like, that's all I can think. Like, believing in what you believe in actually works. But, like, for him... NFL head coach, the biggest sport in America, like my favorite sport. It's just, it's unreal. I don't even know if it if it if it, if it clicked yet. It's it's um it's definitely humbling, and and I'm I'm like, so I'm excited, man. I I know for a fact that this is like, like this is God's plan, and um. For him to just take it on and and really like embody it is it's a blessing to be honest with you, man. It's it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. Not just him though. I mean, the whole entire team. I I, I know you saw that Atlanta pregame warmups. Right. Every single player on that ninety man roster is wearing a dogs culture T shirt, man, or some yes, kind sir. of shirt representing the dog culture. I mean, it's not just Nick Sirianni that bought in. It's every single Philadelphia Eagles player. I mean. The Eagles posted a bunch of, I don't know if you noticed, they posted a bunch of the dog culture t-shirts on their Instagram pages and stuff like that. But you saw players in the comments saying, why aren't you tagging the owner? Why aren't you tagging the owner? Here's the owner. Find him. That's how I was able to find you is through the players tagging you in this. So you've reached not only Nick Sirianni, but you've reached the roster and you touched the roster. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I, so my thing is, um, when, so dog, so dog culture, right? One, I knew the term in itself was going to like click with athletes because every, like not just ball, but just athletes in general. Like when you got a dog, he knows who he is. When he hears the term, you hear Deion Sanders say it all the time. Like the dogs know the dogs. So for people, for the athletes to like really like they're behind me, you know, like it's it's not every day that somebody who you don't know will support you just for the simple fact that they want to see you win. And that's the same thing with Zach. He's like, I just want to see you win, bro. So for the, for the players to act and like miles, miles Sanders, he, he posted the, like on his page, dog calls your boom and tagged me like that. So it's like, it's, it's, it's nothing but respect I can give to the guys to that's going to show me love and don't even, they don't even know me. But what I do believe is, a lot of people, and I'm not sure they know, you know, the, the actual foundation of dog culture, but a lot of people are affected by this thing we call cancer. A lot of people in the world, if you don't know anybody personally, you know of someone or you may have lost someone or somebody, you know, is battling with it. So it's the emotional connection, I believe, that like overcoming this beast and being in the corner of somebody who's going to overcome that beast or being a supporter of somebody who's helping somebody overcome the beast. Right. So I do believe like the emotional connection of, of, of not backing down to a disease that's been taking people out and actually helping people understand that I'm bigger than this thing. The thing is like, we get so caught up in the numbers and, 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 and like the stats and what, what, how many, like the mortality rate, but I want to change the game to like 0% mortality rate. And I think, and 
I don't know if they know the story, but I think like that emotional connection is what was helping people like really get behind it because it's real. Like it's a real story um, and real people are affected by it. So I, that's my my thought. If not, it's beautiful that they just, you know, supporting. And, and that's amazing, man. That says a lot. And your mission to take over the NFL and spreading your message. You're now mm-hmm. going on The Athletic, Sports Illustrated. You're going to be coming on other other platforms, I'm sure, to speak your message. But what is your what is your goal? Is your goal to get every NFL player not just knowing the dog culture, but understanding it and living it? Is that what the goal is here? My goal is, and we can say NFL player, but the world for people to understand the power of their mindset. And the reason, the reason I'm so passionate about it is because without understanding that if I fight and win here, right, if I didn't do that, my life would not, like, it would not exist. If I agreed with the doctor and what she told me my outcome was going to be, I would not be here. So football player, whoever you are, scout team, if you believe that I'm not good enough and I'm only good enough to play here or I didn't make the team and this must mean my work. Like if you believe in what people are telling you about yourself instead of believing in who you are, then you will have what they say, right? So once you start believing in who you are and the power of your mind and understanding my journey is my journey. So in between, that's the fight. And if I can just fight through the journey and get to the other side, I can win. But the problem is we get through the journey, it gets tough, we throw in the towel, and then now it's I shoulda, coulda, woulda, but we gotta learn how to stand firm. Like the high that we ride when everything is right and everything is good, like we need to keep that same energy throughout the battles, even when life is telling you you're done, or even when life is telling you you'll die in three months, go take a cruise, or even when you get cut, whatever. But my thing is because I am a football player and I played the game, I know what the mindset can do to the football players on every team. And it can literally elevate the game of football. So the exciting things that we see now, it can get even more exciting. So I I really want to push the message, um, but even past football, because football ends, right? So we still have to understand, like, through this battle, through my career, whatever I'm doing, what can I take from this and, and, and add to the value that I've been given so I can continue to impact the world once I'm done with this game, right? So really, um, my mission for the NFL is for everybody to embody the dog mentality, no matter what like situation you're in, understanding that my journey is going to help somebody else along the way. So I can't take my journey lightly. I can't just be out here existing. I have to really find purpose in what I'm doing. So the people that are attached to my purpose can like benefit from my purpose, right? As opposed to just me just being here. So I don't care like what position you are or what, you know, level on the roster you are. Like you can learn from embodying the mindset and then being able to help people who are looking up to you. Cause like, believe it or not, you're a role model. You're in the NFL, it's kids who don't like, who would love to make the practice squad or whatever, who would love to be the guy. So understand it's always eyes watching. So the dog mentality is like, I break it down, desire, attitude, will, grind. Your desire for what you want in life, your desire for finding your purpose, because I believe that's the number one thing. Like once you find purpose, you find your peace, you find your joy, you find your reason. Because when you have a reason, you don't quit. 
your attitude, that's the attitude. You stay positive, that's perspective. You keep the same attitude, the same energy, no matter the highs or lows, my energy is here. Life can be knocking me down, but I stay, I keep my eye on my vision, the will, right? I say will because I had to will myself into the gym when I didn't want to. When they said, hey, you shouldn't go in there. And I said, I got to get stronger because I got to fight on my head. So you got to will yourself through whatever situation like you're going through on your team, on the field, down by 14 with, with four minutes left. Like you got to will yourself through. Sometimes it don't take talent. It just takes effort and will, right? And then grind. The grind is no matter how long it takes, my dream, my vision will come through or come true if I do not quit. So I, and I'm going to bring this back to the hospital, right? I told God, I said, if I die, I'm going to die fighting and believing that I'm going to live. And it sounded crazy, but that, that like helped me understand, like, it doesn't matter what happens. You're going to fight to the end. Although I said, although I said I would die fighting before I let cancer kill me, right? I understood once I took on that mindset, I stopped wondering when it was going to be over. Cause that's the problem. Like we wonder when is my breakthrough coming? And then we start getting caught up on the days and it's been so long, not understanding that the process is going to take as long as it's supposed to take. You just got to be willing to stand in the fight long enough. So that is the mindset that I want them to take with them in, in life on and off the football field and the coaches. And like, I want to talk to these guys like in the locker room. That's my thing. Like I want to get, I want to get to them and, and let them know you know, what I've been through, how it helped me and how we can help them. Has that come to happen yet? I mean, I, I would, if I'm a coach and I'm instilling the dog culture to my team, yeah. I want you in the locker room. I want you talking to my team. I want you giving a speech to, to this roster. Has that happened yet? Uh, at home, I give speeches. I, I was talking to the Eagles last night. Like, I was talking to them, but in reality, it's happened in my area, in high school. So I've been to high schools. I've talked to uh, principals and teachers. I've talked to football teams, field hockey teams, um, a lacrosse team. I don't want to say the wrong school, but it's a college team. They want me to come out in January and speak to them. So it is happening. Um, and I've, I've, I've had a lot of speaking engagement, but nothing on the professional level yet, but it's coming. I, it's I know coming. it's coming. Oh, it's 100% coming. I'm not, I know that <laughs> in my mind. We actually need it to happen sooner rather than later, actually, to be honest with you. Man, for everybody that's listening to this that is just now being introduced to you, just now int being introduced to dog culture, they are, are having their own struggles. They're having troubles hanging on. What would your message be for them right now if you're knowing this? So... What I tell everybody, find your reason to keep going. So whoever it is that needs you to keep fighting, I need you to find your reason. Because once you find out who you're fighting for, that gives you more purpose to not give up. I tell people all the time the story I heard about a woman whose child was stuck under a car. A mom, she don't lift weights. She doesn't. She's a mother. I'm um, not saying women can't lift weights, but this particular woman didn't lift weights. Like her child was stuck under a car. That was her why. That was her reason. That was her purpose. She found the strength within to move the car enough to get her child from under the car. Why is that? Because when you find out your purpose and your reason for life, you find the strength that is in there that you didn't know you had to get through. I would like when I was in the hospital, right? I gave up. 
And I said, all right, I'm going to use mom's, right? So I realized that without her, I would not have found the extra days to keep going. But with her, I realized, like, if I attach this fight to her, that when I quit, she's affected. She's impacted. Her life changes forever. But when I make it through, she makes it through too, right? So you got to find out what it is you're doing this thing for. Like, what's your why? What's your purpose? What's your reason? And let that drive you. Because if you quit on you, you're just quitting on you. But if you're quitting on someone else, it impacts you too, right? It impacts you and it impacts them. So you got to find your reason for fighting. Because once we find our reason and our purpose and our why, it's like, okay, I can't let them down. So now the, the, the fatigue or the excuses that I'm giving, I'm tired, I don't want to do this no more, you're not doing it for you. So you don't have, like, you don't have that option. I have, a, I have a daughter on the way. I don't have that option. Three years after my chemo, they said, you, there's no life. They told me like my sperm was not alive. It broke me. Two years later, I went back. I talked to my sperm. I said, you going to swim? You going to do what you're supposed to do? They said, we got life. They've been telling me no my whole life, but I don't agree with it. You can't agree with what life is giving you. You agree with what you want. So when I said, okay, three years later, I have no life in my sperm. You're telling me that you tried to take my life and then talking to cancer. You try to take my life and now you're telling me I can't reproduce life. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to get out of this situation just to like move backwards. That's not going to happen. So now I understand like what you speak to, it will live, right? So now not only do you find your purpose, you start speaking what you want. Whatever battle you're going through, cancer, depression, divorce, you speak what you want your future to be. So now when I start talking, right, I start speaking it, put it out in the atmosphere, the world catches up to my words. Like the power of your words are real. My thing is, if we, and this is for people who believe in God or whoever you believe in, we believe like as he is, so are we in this world. He spoke and he created life. Then why don't we think that we can speak and create what we want? So whatever you're going through, you can't agree with your situation and you can't talk your situation because if you speak the negative, that's what you're going to have. And the reason I can say this is because like, I'm a walking testimony of like everything I do up until this point in my life. I speak what I want and it just starts happening. But it doesn't happen by speaking in no movement. You got to speak it and you got to walk towards it. So find your purpose and speak life. Speak to where you want to go. And then number three, you got to visualize it. Like, the imagination is like children. You see kids playing with imaginary friends and they think it's real. The mind doesn't know what's real or fake. It just knows what you tell it. So if you tell your mind, like, I'm healed, I am this, I am that, it will become that. And the reason I say that is because there's people who say, oh, you're stupid. And then you agree with that and you tell yourself, yeah, I must be stupid. Then you start acting it. But if you say, no, I am more than a conqueror, I'm an overcomer, I'm intelligent, I'm great, I'm personal, I'm powerful, then you become that because you speak who you are. So these are the things that people like, whatever you're going through, don't agree with what you're going through, right? Agree with who you are. Who you? Who are you? Find, that's the thing. Like, we got to find out who we are first. So find out who you are. I'm a child of the most high. I am great. I am powerful. I am phenomenal. Speak that and then you'll be that. No matter what you're going through, you got to get through your situation by talking and moving forward and seeing it, finding your purpose. Like it all connects, like the dots got to connect, but that would be, you know, my advice. Drive, attitude, will, grind. Dog culture. Desire, desire, attitude, will, grind. Desire. Yes, sir. I apologize. Desire, attitude, will, grind. 
Oh, culture creator Mike Hill with me right now. Mike, where can we all find your YouTube page, your Instagram page, so we can hear these messages? So Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Facebook is at dog underscore culture. And then on YouTube is dog culture, D-A-W-G underscore culture. I will be plugging in each page on Sports Illustrated, on the podcast, wherever you guys want to tune in to listen to Mike's great wisdom. Please do so because you will be, I'm uplifted myself already and it's only 10 a.m., almost 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's been so great talking to you and, and getting to know what dog culture stands for because Philadelphia needs to know. I know you did a great place, mm-hmm. uh, great piece with Athletic, but I'm excited for this Sports Illustrated piece to come out and really feature what dog culture is and hopefully we can inspire everybody out there that doesn't know it yet. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Definitely do. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.